know, we're just living in a day where I don't know what we do without the Lord. And you, no matter the reason why you're here, it's not by coincidence or circumstance. God has ordered your steps. So if you would just surrender and open your life and your heart, God will move, he'll minister. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to read five quick verses in the book of Esther, chapter 8. And I'd like to start at verse 4. Book of Esther, chapter 8, verse 4. Say amen when you're there. Esther 8, 4 says, When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite and the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, said to the Queen Esther, to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring and a seal with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Well, Larry, would you say prayer? seated. The story of Esther is, I think, probably a lot of people's favorites, or one of the favorites that we have in, in the Bible. There's been plays produced about this story, and there's been movies produced, there's been songs that have been written, and it, it is just a, it, it's kind of a love story. It's kind of a redemption story, a deliverance story, a miracle-working story. Uh, it's a never-too-late kind of story. It's a story that continues to be told throughout time. The book of Esther, it, it was written after the reign of Xerxes I, and it was written before Alexander the Great, for you history buffs. So the time frame... It's about 100 years after the captivity of the Jews when King Nebuchadnezzar went in and he sieged Jerusalem and he took captives into Babylon. Well, this is about 100 years after that. And now Persia is ruling the world. And about 50 years before Esther, 
the decree from Cyrus was made that the Jews could go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild it. And so some of the Jews had left the Persian Empire and had made the, the trip home and had begun to rebuild. But many of the Jews become established within the Persian Empire and had created a, a new life for them there. They were involved in the businesses. They were involved in, in the markets. They were involved in the political and economic structure. They were raising their kids. Their kids were there. They didn't want to take their kids out of school and move them to a new district and so on. Esther was of that group where her family did not make the journey back home. And so they were still living in Persia while there were already Jews back in Jerusalem rebuilding their nation. But Esther remained in her family. And so Haman was, he was let's just call him the, the prime minister of Persia. And he answered to the king, and he was the highest ranking official in all the land. And he had it out for the Jews. And, and Esther, her name was Hadassah. That's her Jewish Hebrew name that was given her, not Esther. Hadassah. But when she was in the beauty pageant to become King Xerxes' wife, she changed her name to Esther to hide her Jewish descent. So that way she would not be tracked to her people and it would be hidden from those that would do harm. And as Esther married the king, she began to become quickly his favorite wife. And she became a favorite person that he wanted to dine with and a favorite among the kingdom of Persia. And Everybody loved her. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. But they loved her personality, too, and she quickly won the people over. She was kind of like a Princess Diana. She, she had the multitude and the, the crowd favorite she had with her. But a man desired to wipe out her people. But he didn't know that Queen Esther was of that people. And he didn't know that she was a Jew and he was ignorant of the fact that the king's favorite and the people's favorite that he was going against. And he pursued her with everything that he had, and, or her people with everything that he had. And you know the story that she began to make dinners for her husband, King Xerxes. And she began to dine with him. And she brought Haman, and, and you know the story unfolds where... She wins over the heart of her husband, and it comes to a place to where he says, Ask me, wife, what you will, and I will give you anything that you ask. And in the defining moment, she begins to say, Then what I ask is that there is a man that has plotted a, a vicious and terrible move to destroy me, to destroy my family, to destroy my people, to destroy all of those. He, he wants to commit genocide on my nation. And, and the king was filled with wrath. And he said, who is this man that would do such a thing? And she said at that place in front of Haman, she said, the, the wicked man is your prime minister, Haman. And at that moment, the light bulb went off in Haman's mind. And he began to understand that she just confessed to being a Jew. She just declared her heritage before the Persian king. She just outed herself 
but it was contrary to the move of Haman. And he knew that the king loved his wife more than he loved his prime minister. And he knew the people adored the queen more than they adored the stuffy politician Haman. And fear crept into him and he began to plead with her for his life. And the king walked into the next room to collect his mind, to process what he had just found out. He never intended to rule against his wife. He was just processing his next move. When the king walked back in the room, he found his prime minister trying to attack his wife. He was trying to get a hands on her to, to violently threaten her, to change her mind, to, to bully her, to, to persuade her to take back her request. But the king saw that Haman was laying hands on his wife. And it said, while that happened, the guards rushed Haman and they put a bag over his head. You ever seen a man on the gallows and they got a sack over their head? That was probably the last ounce of daylight he ever saw. Because when he laid hands on the queen, the guards that were standing in the room acted instantly because nobody is going to touch the treasure of the king. Nobody is going to disrespect the office of the king by touching what he has valued to be the greatest thing in the room, and that was his wife. There were stories to be told in this. The stories continue to be told of how Israel was doomed for destruction, how Israel was headed to annihilation, how that there was no hope. But I, I don't know if many of you know this, but in the book of Esther, the name of God is never mentioned. Look it up. Study it. You will not find the name of God in the book of Esther. You have a God that seems to be not involved, but at the same time, completely involved. You find the absence of his name, but you see his hand everywhere. There's going to be times in our lives when we're in such a dilemma and such a disaster and such a darkness that the very name of God is hard to speak because we feel that we're losing everything. We feel that the enemy is after our very soul if it was possible. We feel that this life is closing in on us and we don't want to pray. We don't want to talk to God. We don't want to speak His name. We, we sing the song, When I Speak His Name. But the reality is, sometimes there's a dark place where we don't want to speak His name. I must be the only one in the room that's willing to admit that. But sometimes there's so much chaos and so much confusion and so much misunderstanding and in blame that we put towards God that we don't want to say, when I speak His name, Jesus. We want to look at our phone and read text messages and Google instead. We want to watch shows. We want to read books. We want to have new relationships. Anything to not have to speak his name. Even the scripture that we love to say, 
about Esther when, when Mordecai reminds her, he says, who knows? Who knows that you have been brought here for this, such a time as this? Doesn't say God. Doesn't speak his name. You know that sometimes there might not be a scripture that pops in your mind and in your heart. That you know instinctively and you know inside your brain and in your heart the choice to make. You know the right steps to take. You know the right doors to go through. But we ask God and say, give me a verse. Give me a word, God that I'll know, finally, it's your will. But sometimes it's silence. Sometimes the name of God that contains all power, all deliverance, all redeeming, all grace and mercy is hard to find. But I find it ironic that the story of Esther is still told without the name. I'm not belittling and I am not preaching about the name for I think the name should be in anything. But I'm preaching right where some of us are at. That the word of God may be withheld from him. Because there's more than just quoting scripture. Quoting scripture is phenomenal. But it's not everything in every situation. We come to a place sometimes where we've got to have a word in our mouth. We've got to have a word memorized or else we won't give credit to God. Or else we won't bend the knee to God. I'm telling somebody, you're in a dark place and the word is not coming to you. But God is. I know the scripture in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place where we're like, Lord, show me a sign. Give me a preacher. Give me a testimony. Give me a sign of the seasons, Lord, that this is you. And God is looking and he's saying, can't you feel my fingertips? Can't you see me at work? Can't you feel my spirit? Hasn't there been enough showed you? I'm trying to write the story for you. I'm trying to do the miracle for you. I'm trying to redeem you. I'm trying to deliver you. I'm trying to bless. You. I'm trying to bring you out. The Jews, Sister Andrea, I'm skipping a section, but I'll come back. I'm just reordering my notes. We're going to go to the video if you'd get that ready. But at the end of the chapter, the end of the book of Esther, Mordecai is exalted, and Mordecai begins to put into place a new feast, a new celebration of Jews, and it's called Purim. And the whole point of Purim is that the Jewish nation forevermore would never, ever forget that God had saved them from genocide, that God had thwarted the hand of Haman, it was so bad. You see, the Jews, there's a verse that says he's going to blot out the name and the, the, the word of Amalekites. 
that the Amalekites would be blotted out before Israel because they rose against them. And the Jews weren't to speak that name, weren't to read that name, weren't even to write that name, that the Amalekites would be blotted out from their existence. But they took that method and they applied it to Haman because Haman is a descendant of Amalek. And because they were blotting out the name of Amalek and his descendants, the Jews began to blot out the name of Haman. In the Feast of Purim, the Jews get together and they read the story of Esther every single year. And when they say the name of Haman, they take instruments. You ever see the, the, the little snake rattles on a wooden handle and you spin it? They take them, and when they read the story, and the story mentions the name of Haman, they begin to make a noise and blot out and draw out his name. There's a video of them teaching their children this. Sister Andrew, if you play it, I want you to see this is modern day. We were having technical issues during service. Most of you didn't notice. I sent my daughter back there, and she went scrambling. And if we're having it again, we can just skip it. But I thought it would be good if we could see how things in our generation relate to that generation. And it was so important to them that one generation after the next generation would begin to blot it out. That it wouldn't go, it wouldn't skip a generation of them remembering that there's a story to tell. That every year after year after year, they tell the same story. See, I think that there's some grandchildren in this house that have been teaching their children and their grandchildren. Some grandparents that have been telling them, hey listen, this is what I want you to do. Let me know once we're set on that. This is what I want you to understand. Grandson, granddaughter, this is what God did for us. This is how we shall never forget. This is how we shall always remember what God did for us. Are we ready? There is sound to this. This is a teacher teaching Jewish children. A rashan, that is the instrument that they wave that blocks out the noise. I'm going to give about 10 more seconds and we're just going to forget it. So what she's doing is she's teaching them to shake that when she says the name Haman. So she's trying to instruct them. She says, don't shake this when I speak the name Esther, when I speak the name Mordecai, but when I speak Haman, blot it out. That's all right, I'm done with that, Brooke. That's what she's doing. She's teaching the modern generations how to, not only the story of what God did, but how to respond to the story, of how to rejoice to the story but how to keep the story as a defense in their life. How to continue it from generation to generation. 
And so when the Jews read in Purim and they say, Haman, all of a sudden everybody grabs a tambourine and everybody grabs a rishon and they begin to swirl it around and they blot out the name. There's some things in our lives that need to be blotted out. There's some things in our situation in the valleys we're going through that the stories that I was told about how, how God, Mom, you told me a story. This isn't in my notes. You said that you went to a gas station and you got out of the gas station. When you got out of the gas station, you opened the door and you stood out and a car came whipping through the gas station and you said that, that that car hit a wall and just backed up. My mom told me that. And I said, I've, I've never had God do that in my life. I've never seen an angel. She's seen a couple. I've not. Until a couple weeks ago. When I got in my car and I told the story, and if you don't know the story, we'll catch you up some other time. But a quick synopsis is I was traveling home through the blizzard where I should not have been. And I met a man that told me to be safe. And then I about went off the mountainside in a blizzard at 50 miles an hour. And when I landed, I, I recognized immediately at the hand of the Lord, and angels were about me. And I began to think, my mom's told me about angels she's come in contact with. And now, as a 44-year-old man, I'm still watching and waiting for the same things the story my mom told me would happen in my life. I stand before you many times and I tell you, that I have prayed God would put four angels around my house. I tell you those things because my parents told me stories of angels. I tell you these things because my bishop told me how his church prayed for four angels around his bishop. And those stories are in my life and I tell you the same story that God can set angels about you. That God can put a hedge of protection around you. I wonder the stories that Peter would tell. That when Peter sits down and would sit around in heaven when we get there and we begin to talk to the apostle Peter... I wonder about the story that he's going to tell about when he saw the water be turned into wine. I wonder what Peter would say when he begins to tell about the water walking experience. See, those are the good times. I wonder when, when Peter would say, hey, I watched the Lord raise the dead. I watched him yell into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth. I watched the Lord put mud on a man's eyes and it opened the blind. I watched the Lord put his hands on the deaf ears and they began to hear. I watched the Lord 
get beaten while he was tied to a post. I watched the Lord walk the Via Della Rosa. I watched the Lord hang upon the cross. Imagine Peter who had been brainwashed so bad that he thought a man was God. The brainwashing was real deep with Peter. This man told him that he could walk on water. And the man tricked him so he actually walked on water. The man told Peter that if they open the fish's mouth, they'll find a coin there. And it was there. What kind of magic and magician must this be that could do that? What kind of man could say to a cripple, Rise, take thy bed and walk? That is great brainwashing. He bought into it. He believed in it. He, he would leave his wife and children for great amounts of time while he followed this magician, while he followed this man that was spreading a doctrine. Peter bought in with everything only to watch this man lose his life in front of him. Must not have been the will of God. What kind of man, what kind of person am I to fall for this? For he said that he was the Messiah. He said, I watched it, I saw it, but yet he couldn't save himself. kind of story are you going to tell, Peter? Because then later in Peter's life, the story that's told is Peter is shackled with two chains, placed in a prison cell between two soldiers, centuries put at the door. Peter all of a sudden is sitting there and he's thinking through his mind, Lord, I'm going to tell my grandchildren when you turn water into wine. Lord, I'm going to tell my grandchildren when I walked on water with you. Lord, I'm going to tell my family how I heard Lazarus' name called. But Peter, you're in prison and you're shackled and you're guarded and you're locked away. going to tell them. I'm going to tell them how everything I thought I lost had been risen from the grave and visited me and held out hands with nail scars. I'm going to tell them that I saw God. I'm going to tell them that I didn't miss it. I'm going to tell them that I wasn't tricked. I wasn't fooled. I wasn't led astray. What I'm going to tell them is that in the darkest moment, don't you ever for a second give up on Jesus. Don't you ever quit the Lord. Don't you ever walk away from God. Peter sat there telling angels stories of everything he'd been through. And it says a great light came into that prison. It says the shackles fell off says an angel looked at him and said, it's time to go. 
Peter gets up and he hightails it out of there. Sayonara! Peter, what, what story you got for me? I got a story of a God that knows how to deliver. I got a story of a God that never forgets and leaves me behind. All the sacrifices I made, it wasn't easy. I suffered. I went through some things. But no matter what I went through, God was there. And God found me and God brought me out. wonder the stories. Joshua 21.45 says this, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. Not one word of all the promises that God had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Joshua, tell me some stories. I'll tell you a story. God brought all of Israel, two million upwards, to the Jordan River. And God made a way before the Ark of the Covenant. I saw the waters build up into a giant mass upstream. I saw the ground dry as can be. I saw mom and dad begin to march around Jericho. I saw my grandparents begin to worship the Lord in the presence of the enemy. We always say we want to worship and praise the Lord in the presence of Jesus. I want to tell my children and family that I'll praise God in the presence of God. But I will praise God in the presence of hell. I will praise God in the presence of my enemies. I will lift up the name of Jesus in the middle of my destruction. I will worship the Lord in the middle of my devastation. I will call upon the Lord in the middle of my depression. The story I'll tell is it hasn't been easy but it's been worth it. I want to tell my kids, I didn't do everything right. I didn't do it the right way in the right timing with the right attitude. But he did it in me. He did it in my life. The Lord did it in his time. And he taught this old boy to wait upon the Lord, to renew my strength. God is trying to finish the story in many of your lives today. It says that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. 
not over till that last stroke of the pen in heaven is wrote in the Lamb's book of life. You might think, and I've went too far. You've not went too far for the Lord. You might have went too far for your liking. You might have went too far for your wife or your husband's liking. It might not be comfortable for your friends and your family where you've been and what you've done. But you're not too far from God. You're not out of reach from His hand. You're not too far that God can't speak into the middle of your situation and begin to say, I've got a story to write here. I'm going to write of my deliverance in your life. I'm going to write of my saving power in your life. I'm going to write a redemption story in your life. I'm going to call you out of death and into my life. Peter says, then the Lord knows, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You see, we easily believe that God knows how to punish. I don't even have to convince most of the world that God, God can handle hell. That's easier than trying to get saved people to believe that God can deliver them. Because we view ourselves as worthless, as incompetent, as failures, as mess-ups. I think it's pretty across the board. And we look at ourselves and we think, I just don't got what it takes. You're right, you don't. But you're serving a God who does. Don't you for one second treat God's power like your power. Don't you for one second treat His delivering abilities like your delivering abilities. There ain't none of us that can bring ourselves out. There's none of us that can do this. There's none of us good enough, strong enough, smart enough, talented enough, rich enough. I feel the Holy Ghost telling me to tell somebody that's sitting here. I'm not even talking online. I mean somebody that's in the house today. That God is trying to rewrite your story. He's trying to stop the story of destruction and change it to a story of deliverance. I feel that you are in a place of decision. And you have been exposed to this church. You've been exposed to the Spirit of God. You've been exposed to the doctrine of God. You've been exposed to the hand of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and the voice of God. You've got other voices speaking into your life. You've got other doctrines trying to creep into your life. 
You've got another way that's trying to, it's had a stronghold, but it's trying to keep that stronghold. And God is less, he's taking those shackles and he's beginning to open up. Here's the thing. Just because God shined a bright light and sent an angel and broke the shackles off of Peter, there was still a commandment that was given. That angel said, Arise and let us go quickly. Peter could have sat. Brother and Sister McGee, thanks. May God keep you. You should travel. They got to cut out. Peter could have, he could have sat there and said, I'm, I'm still afraid, Brother Larry. There's guards at the door. Is this really happening? Is this really for me? Look at, the, look at what I've lost. Look at what I've been through. If, if I leave, these guards are going to find me and my punishment is going to be twice as harsh. So I think I'll just stay here and take my chances with Herod. Brother Kenny, that's the response of so many people. People are sitting in a jail cell in a prison and God comes by service after service after service and can't you feel the Holy Ghost right now? Service after service. He's come right where we're at. He didn't take us to where he's at. He came right down into our filth, came right down into our sin, came right down into the muck and mire. And he put his light on us. He put angels about us. And he loosed the chains. But he will not force us to get up and walk out of the situation. There's got to be some part of the journey that we're willing to make with him. There's got to be a part of this story that we tell that God, listen, God wasn't mentioned in Esther. He was just seen in Esther. Somebody, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. You're sitting in the jail. And you're mad at God because you don't see God. You see His archangel. You're thinking, am I not worthy that God, you wouldn't show up, but yet his angels are there. And the angel has been sent to lead you out. But I'm a child of God. So was Peter. I love him. So did Peter. I, I feel him. So did Peter. Brother Greg, if there was ever a man that could earn something a little bit from God, surely it would have been the Apostle Peter. But yet Jesus didn't manifest himself visually in that jail cell. He sent his angels to do his bidding and did all the miracles that were needed. I'm here to tell somebody that you're not missing the signs, you're just misreading the signs. It is the will of God for you to get baptized 
in the name of Jesus. It is the will of God that you get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. All the signs have been presented before you. All of the will of God has been laid out before you. But you're asking to manifest for the Lord to manifest Himself before you. One great final miracle. But God is telling you, my grace is sufficient for you. I've already prepared the way. This is how God operates. I, I call myself a man of God humbly because of the works of God. Not the works of John. You're a man of God. But Brother Larry, has any time has Jesus manifested in the flesh in his glorified form before you? We just taught in class, I've never heard the Lord speak audibly. I've never heard a voice out of thin air begin to speak to me like a radio. I've never walked down the hallway and bumped into God and said, Whoa, Lord! When we were going through some dark times with my son, baby, did God ever manifest himself physically in our presence? For me, sent a vision to me. A vision, which I'm so thankful for. But I would have loved even more to see a physical manifestation of Jesus Christ right here on this platform. I'd have loved to sit down. I'd have loved to grab him and wrap my arms around him and hug him like a man hug. My son gives the best man hugs there is. You ask him for a man hug, but don't sue me when he breaks your back. I would have given God the biggest man hug I could have. I'd have broke every rib in Jesus' body if it was powerful, if I could have. But that's not how God healed me. God gave me a vision. And God told me, I've been with you the whole time, and I've been healing you the whole time. But you got to get up from this position and begin to walk the ministry I've called you to. Positions would come. Lamentations 3.22 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. And His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. And I deleted a verse off of here, and I shouldn't have, Sister Jody, because when you sang the lyrics, it talked about it. The next verse in that line says, The Lord is my portion. Yeah. Hallelujah. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him.
listen, if you've ever been in a service, I'm telling you, this is the one. This is the one. We need to forget about the people next to us. We need to forget about who we came with. We need to start talking to God and say, God, I hear you. Lord, I I don't see you in this darkness, but I know you're here. I hear you. I feel you. I see your angels. I see the miracles. I have felt the shackles be loosed from me. Get out of the prison that you've been in too, too long. Lord, I want to tell a story that when you spoke, I listened. When you called, I answered. wood chip moment in my life when I was buried in the wood chips of that playground with snot running down my face and tears being poured and God I understand that I was sitting in a prison of sin a prison this world had put me in a prison God but now I stand before my family and friends and I tell you that I got up and I rose and walked away. God changed my life that day. God changed my eternal purpose that day. God changed my destination that moment. There's ever been a service God is speaking, it's this one. The story of your life. It is so desirable of God. And He wants to open the book. Hear me? God wants to open the book of the Lamb. And He wants to read a story before all the angels. He wants to read a story before all the heavenly hosts. to tell them I've got a story about Greg Church I've got a story about Sister Keen I've got a story about Todd and Sheila a 
story that's being told is the Lord's to tell. kind of story is he going to tell for you and I? I'm opening this altar. I'm asking everyone that would if you'd stand before the Lord. God, I feel the shackles dropping off of my life. I feel the burden of sin being swept aside. Lord, I have felt the light shine into my life lately like I've never felt it before. I've been seeing things more clearly than I have in a long time in my life. I get it, God. I got it. It makes sense. You're bringing me out of this prison. You're bringing me out of this lifestyle. You're bringing me out of this place. You're bringing me out of my own self. Would you come to the Lord? Would you come to this altar and say, God, I'm leaving the prison behind. Lord, I'm leaving the shackles behind. Lord, I'm leaving that behind. Lord, I want my story to be told to my children that mom and dad walked before the Lord. That mom and dad walked after the things of God. Would you come? Would everyone come? Find a place of prayer. This altar's open. Come write your story before the Lord. Let Him change it. Let Him be the author of your life.